Tomorrow is Memorial Day, and we remember, uh, we remember the soldiers who gave their lives in wars in the past uh, in order to make America what it is today, at least in part. I mean, our, actually, you'd probably have to argue that our government has more to do with that. But the soldiers make it so that the government can do their job and make us what we are. That's great. That's good. America is a wonderful place to live. God placed us all here in this time, and I am grateful for it. However, America is not God's kingdom. <laughs> yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to let that sit there. This is not God's kingdom. That God's kingdom is all over the globe. And there are people in Russia. There are people in Saudi Arabia. There are people in China and Germany and Japan who are part of God's kingdom just as much as you or I and the good news today is that what we remember this weekend that is way more important than Memorial Day is Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday, which is today, is the day that we remember that the Holy Spirit came and fell upon the disciples and the apostles in the upper room. And that is the day that the church was born. The church came alive that day. So all over the world, today is a special day because we remember the birthday of the church. So let's read the story of the coming of the Holy Spirit on that day over 2,000 years ago now. Uh, so Acts chapter 2, we're going to just read verses 1 through 8. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like a rushing of violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues, of tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. As all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews of every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered, because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language. And it goes on from there to describe all the different languages that were being spoken and the praises of God being spoken in those uh, various languages. I am so glad that that day happened. Um, I've grown up in a Pentecostal context, and this day has always been a big deal, but I think it's focused on maybe the wrong things, and we're going to get into that a little bit. Have you guys ever visited a graveyard? Anybody? Oh, Yes. I not every now and then Heidi and I like to go visit a graveyard. It's it's a good practice because you just remember from you know from dust you came and to dust you shall return. Very humbling experience to go to a graveyard. But occasionally when you go to a graveyard, you feel, you see uh, monuments, massive monuments like these to the people who had died. This one up here in this corner is literally a tree. It is a concrete tree. And there's their, their little uh, coffin is stuck inside there. And it's like this just massive monument. This one over here, it looks like the Parthenon or something in Greece. And look, you can see the row houses behind it. It's like in some neighborhood. And here's this giant monument to a person who passed on. And my favorite is this guy from Russia who uh, had his car carved out of a boulder and with a full-size, life-size statue of himself over this grave. Anybody know who this person is? How about the person who had the tree one? Does anybody know who that person was? How about the guy with the this over here? That's what I think. Every time I walk into a graveyard and I see these massive monuments, I'm like, who is this person? Why, why bother with such a great big thing? I'm sure they did good things in the world. I'm sure they did good things for their community in Colfax in 1852 or something. But what does it mean for us now? Not very much. 
In fact, if you think about it, very few people in all of history have had an impact that actually changes the world. And those are the people that we remember in our history books. And a lot of those people have really tiny little gravestones. They go on and, and, and we don't remember or, or, you know, we don't memorialize them in the same way that these people want to be memorialized. Sometimes we sensationalize things and people do uh, history making. They, they throw, a, we, we kind of sensationalize things in our culture. So if a person like Felix Hernandez throws a perfect game, we're like, oh, he made history. He made history as the 23rd person in all of history to throw a game with no strikes and no walks. And that's a big deal, but it doesn't really change history, right? Or we, we sensationalize a, you know, this 18-year-old kid sails around the world all by himself. It made history. That isn't really history. I mean, it's an amazing feat. It's really important, good for you, but it doesn't change much around about the world, right? Or, like, there's this whole category of people. It's, well, it's actually a man, right? His name is Florida Man. You guys know Florida Man? If you ever read, you just look it up on Google. When you go home, look up Florida Man. And you're going to come up with all kinds of stuff. All the things that Florida Man does that makes him famous. He's got his own category, like this one. Florida Man makes history by fighting off a 12-foot crocodile by poking his eyes. Yes, history maker right there, right? Poking the crocodile's eyes. Or Florida man and his chicken find social media fame. Right? This is big, important things. So most of what is world famous or history making is actually meaningless. Right? It's actually pointless. It will have no meaning or effect on how people live in the future. So when we say history making and when we try to sensationalize ourselves, we're really, it's just a, it's an exercise in ego. But we can take this idea of an exercise in ego and apply it to actual history, to the Bible itself. See, the point of history is to look back at the past so that we can make sense of the present moment. And hopefully to prepare for a future, a future hopefully a future with hope. That's the whole point of looking at history and looking back. So while we're trying to make history now, we've got to be thinking about what, what happened in the past that makes today relevant. It's the point of looking at the Bible. When we read the stories of the Bible to understand our, our current experience, that's what we do with the Bible. When we read the stories of the Scriptures, we're like, who is God? How does God move and work today in the world and in us? What is God up to this moment? How is God speaking to me in these stories? What is God wanting to clear away and to set me free from so that I can connect with him? We read the stories of the Bible so that we can look ahead with hope. Where is God taking this thing we call life? This thing that we look at as history? What is its trajectory? Where is it going? Where does it lead us if God is guiding us? See, the stories of the Bible and the stories of history itself are really about a present reality, not about memorializing the past. I'm going to say that again. The stories of Scripture and when we look at history is about understanding the present and not memorializing the past. That's what the church is all about. It's all about remembering the past so that we can understand now, not remembering the past so we can celebrate it and have a party. The Bible is a memory book to help us understand today, not a giant gravestone that's here to memorialize the things that used to be. Does that make sense? Are you guys tracking with me here? 
So we talk about the church calendar. Here's a, here's a picture of the church calendar. We talk about the church calendar, and what it is is it's a, it's, a, it's a way of reading the stories of God that carries us in a trajectory through time that reminds us of what happened then and what's important now. So you start with Advent, that God has, we, re, we learn that God has a different time frame than our time frame, that waiting is a part of the process, that God waits for just the right time, and so we wait. And we learn to wait in anticipation, trusting in God's good timing. That's where the calendar begins, is learning to wait. And then we move into Christmas, and we remember that 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born. Okay, but what's so important about that? It's so important because God, in the past, put on flesh, and he walked among us. And now God lives in our flesh and walks among our world today. What happened in the past is still happening today. We studied and we went through Lent, the season before Easter, which is the, this, this time of grieving and, and lament. We learn that God grieves over sin and over the pain of the world. And if God grieves, then we too can grieve over sin and pain. We can lament over the brokenness of the things of this world and the things that are broken in us. What happened in the past helps us understand now. Then Easter, God's love is sacrificial and willing to do whatever it takes to reach us, to forgive us, and to love us. We are loved beyond measure, and we are designed to learn to love in the same way now. As Christ sacrificed his life for the world, so we too learn to sacrifice our lives for the sake of his kingdom to love one another well. See, each of these stories of the past tells us something about now. And the same thing is true of Pentecost, which is where we're at in this calendar. It's that red spot right after Easter before we head into what's called ordinary time. And Pentecost, again, remembers the coming of the Holy Spirit. And like Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter, Pentecost is not just an event that happened in the past that we remember and memorialize. And, you know, maybe we go, if you go to liturgical churches, they're pulling out red flags and they've got fires and flames and sounds and people are got fans and they're blowing, trying to remember that day, which is a lot of fun. But it's not the point of Pentecost because that's remembering the past. And what I'm telling you today is that Pentecost is present and alive in us now. Pentecost is for today. We're not commemorating an event like the Civil War battle or storming of Normandy. We're remembering that these stories are presently true. Thomas Kelly, a uh, Quaker author, and I mentioned him last week, he says this essentially, that our faith is not a faith, a faith of receding memory. Things that happened in the past that we are forgetting more and more and more, the details of those events. But our faith is a continuously growing and expanding experience with God here and now in the present. Luke, the historian, not the drummer that's not here this weekend, uh, Luke, the guy that wrote the book of Acts, he was looking back at this particular moment, not to understand so much what happened then, but as to make sense of what was going on in his moment. Luke was around sometime after the Pentecost. He came to faith sometime after the story. And so he's looking back at this, and he's talking to these disciples who were there. He's talking to the disciples who were with Jesus as he's writing the Gospels, and he's trying to make sense of what happened in Judea, in this far-flung, tiny little place in the middle of nowhere as far as the rest of the world's concerned at that point in history. And it changed everything, and he's trying to understand it. He was doing what all historians do. 
again, looking back at the past to make sense of the present and to find hope for the future. Something happened that day in Jerusalem, and it shook the foundations of the entire civilization, and it changed everything. So the question, what is Pentecost? So the word Pentecost is actually a Jewish word. It comes from a Jewish celebration in which Penta is five or 50. It's actually 50 days after the Passover. So Jews remember the day 50 days after the Passover happened. You guys know Passover is the whole uh, Egypt, getting out of Egypt, the Passover lamb put over the doorposts, all the firstborn people of, of, of Egypt passed away, died that night, but Israel was saved. And then 50 days later, they've been marched out into the desert, and you know what happens? God gives them the law. The law that we've talked about in the Old Testament, all the rules for living as part of God's kingdom in this world. So it gives the law. For Christians, we remember that on Passover was actually Easter. So the day that the Jews remembered the Passover lamb being sacrificed to save everybody, we remember that Jesus, our Passover lamb, was sacrificed to save everybody. And 50 days after that, the Jews remember that God gave them the law. 50 days after that, we remember that God wrote his law on our hearts by placing the Holy Spirit in us. It signals the birthday of the church. It, it mimics Genesis chapter 2 when, when God forms from the dust of the earth, takes all these scattered pieces and draws them together and forms them into one human being and breathes the life into his, his, his breath right into Adam, the first man, which means Adam means the human, man and woman, this first person. And then in Acts chapter 2, we have the same thing, God bringing all of these dusty parts, all these bits and pieces together into one room and breathes life into them and they become the church the new human, the new family of God on earth. It's the doorway to ordinary time. See, ordinary time, is, it's a time where we don't have all these festivals and things. It's we remember that we have had the Spirit breathe life in us, and we are now the people of God on earth, and we just live life in this new extraordinary way of being. And it's just ordinary, even though every day is miraculous. What we see in the text is, First of all, that Jesus in John chapter 14 promised the Holy Spirit. And that's what we talked about last week. He says, I will not leave you orphans. I will send the comforter. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses in the whole world. You're going to become my church. Then the Holy Spirit comes. Again, 50 days after the, the uh, crucifixion of Jesus about 10 days after his ascension, the disciples have been waiting for the promise of that Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised many times. And when it came, it was accompanied by miracles of all kinds. There was a miraculous wind. And we're not just talking about wind. You know, it was just like a nice little breeze. It's, the Greek actually describes a hurricane, okay? A hurricane blowing through the room. Loose papers are flying around. You know, the windows are being blown open. The sound is horrendously loud. People are afraid, and everybody heard it. And then comes this fire, this tongues of fire coming from heaven and dividing and resting on each person. And the fire all through Scripture, it's wild. It's uncontrollable. It's this thing that you can't, you can look at, but you can't actually touch it, with, except for with great danger, right? You're going to get hurt. And it's this symbol of God's presence coming as a burning bush, coming as a pillar of fire. Now he's coming and resting upon each disciple. And not just one, but all of them are getting this wild, uncontrollable, holy, life-giving, 
consuming yet not destroying fire of God. Then there's a miraculous speaking. All these people are speaking in other languages, and then Peter suddenly starts preaching, and, and he's preaching in ways that people understand and connect, and the, everybody else is speaking in other languages, languages that they didn't know, but everybody else knows them, and it's including all of these cultures, all of these languages, all of these people together. Then there's miraculous seeing, the disciples or the Holy Spirit is showing, like, I see the people in this space. I see the people from Parthia. I see the people who are Greek. I see the people who are Roman. I see the people who are Arab. And I want them to hear that I love them in their language. They are seen. Then there's a miraculous hearing that those people suddenly hear the good news in their language. Their ears are opened. Their minds are opened. People from all over the world are open to the love of God. And their hearts are changed. And suddenly, a miraculous unity happens. People who are desperate enemies, people who would take a knife to one another, people who had been at war for generations, people who hated one another, people who were so far apart genetically and historically had come together in this miraculous, staggering diversity, and it becomes unity. And in the mark of in that unity, out of it comes joy. And I love how in Acts 2.42, it just says they were all enjoying, they were enjoying one another. We talked about this at EHS the other night, just how much joy was in those people. They liked life together, even though they had been enemies. And the world outside saw them, and they, they liked them too. They're like, you got, this looks pretty great. I want in on this. It was this wonderful, miraculous, joyful experience. In fact, in this passage, it says that they were so joyful that people outside kind of thought they were drunk. They thought that, oh, they're, they're happy drunk. They're not angry drunk. They're happy drunk. They're being silly. But they weren't. It was too early in the morning. It was the joy of the Spirit that infused their lives. And it was the birth of the church. The church came to life. People came to faith. They gathered in groups to study and understand and live out Jesus' teachings. There was a miraculous sharing of life and of finances. People gave sacrificially. They sold what they didn't need in order to provide the needs for others. There was a miraculous care for people around them, and not just them, but people not like them. Miraculous care for their enemies. Miraculous care for people who weren't Christians. Miraculous care for the homeless. Miraculous care for the orphans. Miraculous care for the disinherited. All of the people in Jerusalem were benefiting from the coming of the Holy Spirit. And there was an amazing joy in the whole experience of just being a Christian. They loved it. And others saw it and wanted in on that life. And it shocks me today that when people think of Christians, they don't think of them as joyful, happy, generous, life-giving, peacemaking people. They often think of them as religious nuts. They think of them as spiritually fruity. It's kind of funny. I think God has called us to be filled with the Spirit, not spiritually fruity. I'll just let that hang there. So what about today? I believe that the presence of the Holy Spirit that was marked by spiritual gifts, I'm going to say this. I, I put this in my notes just a little bit weird. Caught myself off guard. Growing up, I believed that the coming of the Holy Spirit was marked by certain spiritual gifts. And if those spiritual gifts were not present, then neither was God. 
And very specifically, speaking in tongues was the one that, that was, that was my tribe's one thing. If you spoke in tongues, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. And if you were filled with the Holy Spirit, you were saved. Now let's walk that backwards. If you weren't speaking in tongues, you weren't filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you didn't have God, and then you weren't maybe saved, that you weren't a Christian. I believe that only Pentecostals had the Holy Spirit. Other churches would stifle the Spirit. You go to the Baptist church, and they just sing hymns all the time, and those hymns are just so dead, and there's no way the Holy Spirit's going to move in that as though we have the power to control the Holy Spirit. And then they weren't even open to the works of the Spirit because they didn't believe in speaking in tongues. They didn't believe in prophecy. They didn't believe in healing. So they really only had part of God, just a little bit. I believed that if you didn't display the spiritual gifts, again, especially speaking in tongues, that you didn't have the Spirit. And since Jesus gave you the Spirit, you didn't have Jesus. That's dangerous thinking. So where is the Spirit today? We sing a song, and we're going to sing it at the close of the sermon today, that says this, the evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. So where is he today? Where is the Spirit today in this room? Where are the miracles? Where is the huge outpouring of gifts? Where are the signs and wonders Where are the people speaking in other tongues? I have since learned, since my childhood, I've learned that really I'm asking all the wrong questions. I'm really narrowly defining the Spirit's work and relegating the Spirit's work to what the Spirit has done in the past. I've narrowed my vision, and when when you narrow your vision, you can't discern what God is doing in the future. I'm going to say that again. When you narrow your vision of how God works and moves you lose your ability to discern God's work in the future. So right now, the question that we need to be asking ourselves is, where is the Holy Spirit? Pentecost happened in an upper room of a, of a small house in the center of Jerusalem with a few disciples who were gathered together, and the story is centered there. And you didn't have to look very far to see it because it was right there. And I think the same is true today. I don't think you have to look very far in here in our upper room to see the Holy Spirit at work. I don't think you have to look any further than the mirror every morning when you wake up to see the playground of the Holy Spirit. It's you. I'm looking out at the work of the Spirit right now. The evidence really is all around. It's hard to see sometimes. That's why we need others to help us discern it. But there are stories all across this room, and that's how I'm going to end my sermon today. The next few minutes, I'm going to share stories of people around this room, and I'm going to share them generally enough so that you don't know who they are, because it's not my story to tell. It's your story to share. You're like, oh, sigh of relief, sigh of relief. But that's okay. I think that the Spirit is in people who are discovering joy for the first time or new joy in this community. And it looks like kids who are so excited to be here on Sundays that they get angry at their parents when they tell them we're missing church this week. It looks like adults who have been wounded by church in the past, by failed pastors, by ministries that took advantage of them and burned them out, discovering that God is present, that God is at work, and that God loves them, and it's okay just to be. Discovering community who cares and holds them.
The Spirit is at work in people being guided into all truth. That looks like people's eyes lighting up as they read a Bible passage in a small group that they've read a thousand times before and suddenly discover that God is speaking to them again, that the Scripture is glowing and coming to life for them, and they've never seen it before. And it's like, it, it's just, just for me in this moment. It happened this week at EHS with several of us. It was amazing. As we read a Scripture, Acts 2.42, which is one of the most common Pentecostal Scriptures, eyes lit up. It was the Holy Spirit. It's, it's the work of the Holy Spirit when I preach a sermon and you hear something that was just for you. I didn't plan that because I can't sit around and think about you all the time. I don't, sit at, I don't sit up in my office and think, okay, Kelly really needs to hear this. I don't sit around and think, yeah, Jeff, we're going to get him on this one. It's entirely the Holy Spirit. When you hear something in a sermon, I didn't plan it. That's the Holy Spirit. And what's funny is, Frequently, people will come to me after service. When you said this, the Holy Spirit just touched me. And I'm like, I didn't say that. Uh, it's not in my notes. It's not in my thoughts. I, have no, I don't even know what you're talking about. This is a miracle. If you heard God, it was God, not me. The Holy Spirit is at work guiding people to all truth when an atheist has a sudden realization that if there is good in this world, there must be a God. No sermon, no evangelist, just the Holy Spirit. When a person gets clarity in their calling, and understanding what gives them life and fills them up instead of doing all the things that just take life, that take from them, and they're serving as a sacrifice. Instead of serving as a sacrifice, to be able to serve out of joy, that's the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is at work when you find that you have a growing desire to know God. In this room, that looks like a man who chooses to read a spiritual formation book because he wants to be stable and growing in his relationship with God. It looks like a woman with a deep desire for community who is afraid to be in a community. Now stepping out, joining with others in prayer, joining with others in community. It's a beautiful thing when the Holy Spirit grows your desire. The Holy Spirit is at work in people in this room who are being transformed into love, as John 16, 13 says. It's, a, it's when you experience an unreasonable amount of excitement to serve people who are not like you. People who are far from you, who live in another culture, who serve or believe another God, who have lost everything and are seeking refuge here in this country. Excitement to spend hard-earned money to go and meet people in their homes, in their villages, even though it's a 10-hour plane ride. All in the hopes of someday sharing the goodness of God with them. Not in a sermon, not in a, in a slick way of packaging it, but to share the love of God by being there, being present. The Spirit of God um, is in people discovering how to appropriately love themselves and to love other people. Moving away from allowing others to abuse them. Setting boundaries, even though it's hard, because it's the most loving thing to do for that person and for yourself. That is being transformed into the love of God. The Spirit is at work in people becoming filled with peace. As John 14, 27 says, my peace I give you. In this room, it looks like a person filled with a lifetime of anxiety, discovering God's peace and allowing that peace to transform them, to carry them, and to empower them to actually lead other people while using their gifts. 
It looks like a person going through difficult and chaotic times in their life. And they've done it over and over again, gone through these difficult and chaotic times, and they go through it in a certain way, and all of a sudden, this time around, things are different. There is a different patience. There's a restful centeredness. There's a peaceful presence. They're able to love others even in the midst of the hard and the chaotic. I could go on and on and on and on with your stories. Each one is a miracle, a miracle of God's presence, a miracle of God's transforming power, a miracle of God's peace and joy showing up in ways that you would never expect. It's Pentecost over and over and over again. It just doesn't look like necessarily the speaking in tongues. Healing comes in a thousand ways. It's the healing of a broken relationship, the healing of hurts, the healing of traumas from the past, as well as the healing of physical ailments and hurts and sicknesses. God's Spirit is alive and active today. But I wonder if you're like me and you want more. (laughs) Because God works through our desires. And he is planting in us a desire for something more. We are a Pentecostal church. That is what we are. That's our family. That's our heritage. That means we trace our history back to this story in Acts chapter 2. And it means that we believe that everything that happened in this story can happen today. We as a people are open to the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some, there's some uh, professors who are from a, um, from a Methodist origin. They say that the, the Pentecostal church, the reason they see more of these things, more of these works of God in their church is because they're open to it. Whereas other churches are just kind of closed off and they've narrowed their vision. But we're open. So we're people that are open to it. And then we have Paul later on telling us that we should eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, to earnestly seek and pray for a new outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Do you want that for you? Do you want that for the world? This is the place where God is calling us today, not to just remember and memorialize the past, but to recognize the Spirit's work today and to earnestly seek and pray for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that takes us into the future, bringing God's kingdom and God's goodness and love. In the book of Chronicles, God says to his people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then I will hear from heaven and I will heal their land And I think the same is true of us today. That if God's people who are filled with his spirit, who are saved by his blood, who are called, set apart, and chosen as his kingdom and breathed life into them and built the church, if, if that's God's people, if those people humble themselves and pray and seek God's face, he's gonna come again. He's going to pour his spirit about on all flesh, on his sons and daughters. And you can experience the fullness of God's presence anew. So I just want to pray for us that that would happen in this church. That this would happen for you. That the stories of the Bible wouldn't be monuments to the past, but would be memories of now. It would be an ever-growing experience of God's presence in your life. And as I do, would Doug and Annie come up? We're going to sing a last song. Father, we need a fresh wind.
I need a new joy. I need a new power. And so, Lord, we open ourselves to the Holy Spirit to come and fill us. We're calling on the Holy Spirit, a mighty river and a rushing wind to come and fill us again. God, would you open us to you? Would you open our ears to hear you? Would you open our eyes to see you? God, may we not be resistant to you. But may we be filled with your spirit to the fullness of God. May you restore us, Jesus. God, we wait patiently. We're not looking for an ecstatic experience. We're not looking for uh, some kind of contrived moment. We want something genuine and something real. So God, come in power and fill us. However it looks in this moment, in this day, in this church, and we are open to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with us as we sing our closing song? Atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. The atmosphere. The atmosphere is changing now. But the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around that the Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow in this place, fill our hearts with your love, your love, surrender. You're the reason we came to encounter your love, your love, Changing. The atmosphere is changing now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all, is all around. But the Spirit of the Lord is here. Overflow. Overflow in this place, fill our hearts with your love, your love, surrender. 
You're the reason we came to encounter your love, your love surrenders. Fill us afresh again, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence. Your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your presence, your kingdom come, your will be done here as in heaven. Oh, Spirit of God, fall fresh on us. We need your kingdom come your will be done here as in heaven here as in heaven come and fill this place here as in heaven come and fill our hearts we're open to you. A miracle could happen now. For the Spirit of the Lord is here. You're here. The evidence is all, it's all around. The Spirit of the Lord is here. Miracle, a miracle could happen now. We receive it. The Spirit of the Lord is here. The evidence is all around. The Spirit of the with your love, your love surrounds us. You're the reason we came to encounter your love, your love surrounds us. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow, 
God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above These are our prayers. You can fill us here. You can fill us at home. You can fill us in our cars. In an unsuspecting moment, your spirit can come like a mighty rushing wind. And we ask, Lord, we seek and we wait for your presence to come in however you choose, in whatever time that you choose, and in whatever way that you choose. But as you do, God, we pray that you would miraculously open our eyes and open our ears to hear you and to see you and what you're doing. May your spirit fall fresh on each of us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. Make his face to shine upon you. May his countenance rest upon you. May he give you his peace. Go in the grace of our Lord, knowing that above all, Jesus loves you. And Heidi and I do too. We will see you guys a week after next. I love you guys, and we'll see you soon. Amen. Blessings.